We've had church already, amen? amen? Thank you for Weeda for staying and sharing with us once again at this hour. And uh, I want to welcome all of you once again to The Way Woodstock, uh, especially those of you, I want to thank those of you that invited someone to join in with us today. And uh, for those tuning in or joining us for the first time today, I want you to know that you're always welcome here at this move of God called The Way Woodstock, where we seek to introduce people to Jesus by sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Well, I've got to start today with a few shout-outs. I think there's some shout-outs that are appropriate today. First, to the ladies that got away on the retreat this past weekend. Yes. I heard they had a great time. I saw some uh, funny faces, tongues sticking out, and all kinds of stuff. So they, they acted my age, which I felt really redeemed by that. So thank you for that. But a shout-out to all of you that got away. Shout-out to those that supported you in getting away. And if you missed out on that, we're going to do this again. So don't feel like you've missed out perpetually on that. And, uh, uh, and thank God they came back. Yeah, all right. Said husbands, thank God they came back. And, uh, and another shout-out goes to Russ and crew that uh, made some um, perfectly plump pancakes, as my, my daughter would call them. And um, I had a great pancake breakfast last week. And if you missed out on pancakes, you actually heard some great preaching, I hear. Uh, so shout-out to Ernie for getting in the game and uh, stepping in. And uh, it was really a great time. I got to hear him online. Uh, he called me out as a word nerd. Uh, that stuck with me. I texted him right afterwards. I said, word nerd? Really? I mean, is that the best you can go with? You know, it was great. It was really good. And, and uh, it was really a, a fantastic way of worshiping last week as Ann was leading the, the retreat. And, and I had a chance to join my wife, Kristen, at Chick-fil-A next. And let me tell you, you're going to hear a little bit of that in the next couple of weeks, but that company knows what it's like to get in the game. That company knows what it's like and what their kingdom assignment is. And it's an amazing organization and I was richly blessed personally and the stuff that I'm going to bring back uh, so watch out I took a lot of notes and uh, I, I know the staff is like ooh, on that but 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 today today's Super Bowl Sunday right and what an appropriate day to end this series of get in the game and, and so I want to start with this I have a prediction for this afternoon are you ready for it one of the teams is going to win it all I know, I'm, I'm a psychic, right? And one of them's going to lose it all. In fact, as the ABCY World of Sports would say, one of them's going to walk away with knowing what the thrill of victory is, and the other's going to experience what? The agony of defeat. The agony of defeat, right? Well, life's that way too, isn't it? Life's much like the game. In fact, Jesus, as Jesus said as much, you know, as a follower of Jesus, you know, when we say yes to Jesus, it's not that we live on, you know, happy-go-lucky, happily-ever-after kind of story, do we? (laughs) Jesus said as much. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen? But how do we respond to those seasons in which it feels more like an agony of defeat than a thrill of victory? 
How do we as followers do that? That's, that's what I want to culminate this series on is reflecting on that. But before we get to that question and what God's word might reveal to us about that, I just want to recap kind of where we started this off. There, there were some principles that we've been articulating throughout this series. And the first one is this, that every follower of Jesus has a kingdom assignment. Every one of you. Every one of us has a kingdom assignment. And, and in the second week, we identified this, that we have a spiritual opponent. His name's the devil. He can be defeated, but there's a particular type of outfit that we have to put on an armor, if you will, spiritual armor, because of the spiritual forces that we deal with day in and day out in our lives. And in the third week, we recognize this, that it takes a team to get into and play the game right? It takes a team. It takes all of us. We are all part of the team. And then Ernie unpacked for us last week beautifully that practice leads to progress. Practice leads to progress. Are you willing to put, your, put that into practice, what God is calling you to, what God's gifted you with? And then today, I kind of want to close it out with losing does not have to be final or fatal. Losing does not have to be final or fatal. We all experience setbacks, we all experience trialing seasons in our life, yes? And the question is, what do we do with them? How as we as followers of Jesus respond to that? Well, let me take us back to an occurrence in Paul's life where he was experiencing just that. And so I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts. And, and I'm going to invite you to, if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app handy, turn to chapter 16 and let's keep this open because I want to unpack the broader move of what's unfolding in chapter 16. But to kick it off, I want to begin in verse 19 with these words, God's word for us this morning. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks to God. Would you pray with me as we continue in worship this morning? Almighty God, I thank you for the privilege and for the nudge to wake up to a new day and to be invited into your presence, perhaps privately this morning and then corporately now as we are now. Holy Spirit, would you just move freely in us and allow us to unpack your word in a way in which we leave here different than we found ourselves. And so get me out of the way, get us out of the way, open our hearts and minds, our ears to hear and to see what you would have us to experience of you, to know of you, and to embrace of you. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, and all of the church said, amen, amen. Y'all have heard me say it often that a text without a context is just a proof text for whatever you want it to be, Right? So let's zoom out before we, we get into what we just read. Let, let's zoom out because the book of Acts is an amazing book. In fact, it's a sequel to Luke's gospel. 
Luke, who wrote and, and witnessed and testified to the life of Christ in his gospel account, turns the page, if you will, to another chapter, to another book, if you will, the Acts, and he's unpacking what he witnessed in terms of the birth of Christ's church and a move of God that has been unshakable ever since. And in fact, what we find at the very beginning of Acts is Jesus having defeated sin, defeated death. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he's telling his followers, he said, hang out here for a minute because this is what I've got for you. In verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And man, do they. Because what you see, if you look through the book of Acts, is nothing short of what spirit-filled, faithful followers of Jesus that choose to get in the game can experience and testify. And that is lives changed and transformed by encountering Jesus. We see people coming to Jesus right and left because of the faithful followers that chose to get in the game. Sometimes it was individuals that came to say yes to Jesus. Sometimes it was whole families. Sometimes it was masses of people that gave their life to Christ and experienced that life-giving, life-transforming relationship that Jesus has to offer, all because of what these disciples chose to do by getting in the game. And, and faith spread like wildfire, but unfortunately, as you, as you know, sometimes with that comes persecution, and that's exactly what broke out later in chapter 7, chapter 8. We see persecution breaking out, and it's pushing the faithful followers out of Jerusalem, out of their comfort zone, and they ended up ultimately going to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this, one of the most ardent skeptics and fierce persecutors of followers of Jesus, Saul, has a life-changing, purpose-reorienting encounter with Jesus. His life is never the same. And in fact, what we find in chapter 13 is Paul, now Saul gone to Paul, chooses to get into the game himself. He takes on his kingdom assignment. And really the whole second half of the book of Acts is Paul and his cohort going and getting in the game and sharing the good news of Jesus wherever they went, and missional outposts began to pop up throughout the whole Roman Empire. It's an amazing thing to see when you look at the broad picture of the book of Acts. And then you zoom in to where we are in chapter 16, and we find that Paul is in Philippi. It's part of the broader region of Macedonia. And, and what we find, if you look at the broader chapter, is that there is a string of victories for Jesus. Zoom out with me and look at the bigger picture of chapter 16. As Paul shares the hope in Christ with others, we see people coming to Christ. Beginning in verse 11, you're introduced to Lydia. Now, Lydia is a wealthy woman. She's, she's a trader of, of blue and purple garments and fabrics. And, and there at, at a prayer gathering, Paul is sharing the good news of Jesus with her. And she embraces Christ. Her whole family embraces Christ. What you witness is that they're all baptized in the name of Christ. And then they invite Paul and Silas over for a party at their house. How cool is that? Kingdom win number one. Can I get an Amen. And then you fast forward to, to verse 16, and we're introduced to a slave girl. Now, this, this woman is, is, is in bondage, not just physically, but spiritually. She's oppressed by a spirit. And, and Paul calls upon the name of Jesus and delivers her of that spirit. Praise be to God. And there we have kingdom win number two. Can I get an amen? amen. There's a pattern here, right? And then you move forward, and in verse 23, we're introduced to a jailer. 
a jailer that no less has been the one that put Paul in shackles, is there before Paul saying, what must I do to be saved? And having heard Paul share about Jesus and what he could experience with Jesus, we find this jailer and his family embrace Jesus. They too are baptized, and we find that they are overjoyed with knowing this life-giving, life-transforming experience they can have. A string of victories. A wealthy woman, a slave girl, a man of, of modest living as a jailer coming to Jesus. And you have to pause for a moment and, and just take that in for a moment because there's a point here. There's something that, that God's wanting to reveal to us that Luke wants us to see, and that is this. Jesus is for everybody. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black, white, yellow, or red, whether you're a Chiefs fan or a 49ers fan, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. Jesus is for you. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Jesus is for me. Jesus is for everybody. But amongst the thrill of victory, these, these wins, if you will, these kingdom wins that we see in chapter 16, we find Paul endure an agony of defeat moment. And it's what we read today. And if you look back at beginning in verse 19, listen to some of the words. He's, he's delivered this slave girl from the bondage of oppression of the Spirit. And, and what ultimately was happening was the master, her master, was exploiting that spirit as a, quote, fortune teller and lining his pockets. And now he sees a financial loss for himself, and so he pulls Paul and Silas out. And listen, look at these words. We find that they're seized, dragged, attacked, stripped, beaten, flogged, severely no less, imprisoned, and shackled. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Paul and Silas are having a bad day. How about you? Would you be having a bad day if that's what you were experiencing? You see, I think therein lies the connection to perhaps some of us that came in here today. Because some of us know what that's like in the sense of experiencing the agony of defeat. Experience a season in which we are struggling to find hope. The idea of the thrill of victory is all but lost. You see, some of us came in this morning experiencing the estrangement with extended family. Some of us came in here this morning dealing with the grief of the loss of a loved one and maybe even coming to the realization that that generation is beginning to, to go on, on to heaven, if you will. Some of us perhaps came in here dealing with grown children that have made bad choices and we don't know what to do with them. Maybe, maybe we're dealing with addiction or we know of someone in our family that's dealing with addiction and we're wrestling with what to do and how to care for them. And if it's not you, I guarantee you someone sitting beside you is going through a season like that, this very moment. Which leads me back to the question that I posed earlier and that's this, how do I respond? How do you, how do we respond as Christ followers to the agony of defeat? to moments, to seasons in our life. And I think that Paul and Silas show us a healthy way to respond in those seasons. Listen to this. The first thing I want you to take away is relentlessly stay in communion with God. 
relentlessly stay in communion with God. Take note of where Paul and Silas are. They're in the deep recesses of the prison. They're bound in shackles. In many ways, they've been beaten, bruised. No doubt, they're bleeding. And if anyone has a right to have a pity party, any of y'all ever had a pity party? I I resemble that remark. You ask my wife, I can have a pity party. I'm pretty good at having a pity party. Yeah, if anybody's got a reason to, Paul and Silas do. But look at the very next verse, verse 25, right past what we read today. What we find is that they respond in a way maybe we don't quite expect. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You say, while everyone else is sleeping, they're praising. This is counterintuitive. This is counter the culture that would say, focus on yourself, cry out, call woe is me, pity on me, look at me, and look at how bad my situation is. What is it that we find them doing? Instead of pouting, they're praising. Instead of agonizing, they're adoring. Instead of worrying, they are worshiping God. And we can too when we experience the agony of defeat season in our life, whatever that might be for us you know I was reminded of this earlier and let me back up a minute because I think Paul Paul knew the scriptures right he's a who's who if you will among the Jews I can't help but think that he took to heart Isaiah's word when when Isaiah was given this word of putting on the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair Isaiah 61 3 putting on the joy oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. You know, as the song Surrounded, maybe y'all know the contemporary song, I'm Surrounded, but I'm Surrounded by You. It's inspired by that passage. But this past week, let me, let me put a, 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 like a real life, like real time today experience. You, know, you may be looking at, okay, Paul did that. Silas could do that, but could I do that? Well, at that conference that, Anna, that Kristen and I went to, there were 10,000 operators Store support, personnel, and, and the spouses there. It was a season of worship, vision casting, leadership, and testimony. And on Monday morning, one of the store operators stood up, and, and I want to put a picture up of, of this lady. And she, she's there with 10,000 people in the room. Imagine this. And she begins to share her story of having a, the great news of expecting a baby. And, and, and she set up an appointment to go back two weeks later to have another ultrasound. And at that ultrasound, they can't find a heartbeat. She puts up the ultrasound of an empty womb up there. I couldn't imagine what that was like to share that publicly like that. And, and she said, the doctors basically said, you know, you need to go home prepared to miscarry this child within the next week. And so she went home with that. And God immediately took her back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat and the, and the tribe of Judah were surrounded by three other armies. And, and, and in that moment, God spoke and said, this battle isn't yours, it's mine to fight. And Jehoshaphat begins to get on his knees and praise God. And, and, and in that moment, the words that came to her lips, so what God imparted to this lady, this store operator, was to pray and praise Christ. To pray and praise Christ. And and, and here's the thing, as she was going home, she got a call from her mother. 
about her brother who had a four-centimeter tumor, a very aggressive tumor in the brain that had to be operated on immediately. And again, God said, pray and praise Christ. And that's exactly what she did. Now, what the amazing thing about her story is, is that she went on to tell us that she, she went on a, a, another week or so with that pregnancy and, and nothing happened and she went back to the doctor and they did another ultrasound and they found a heartbeat. And she put up another ultrasound picture of that young baby. And then she put up a picture of her brother in the hospital holding her newborn child. Having not only endured the surgery, but the doctors couldn't explain it. She put up a scan of his brain. He did have a brain. That was a good thing. <laughs> but the tumor was gone. They had removed the tumor, and there was going to be no more additional treatment. Praise be to God. They didn't get it all, but God got it. Now, that praise and pray Christ didn't come to her after the good news. After that ultrasound that the heartbeat was found and after her brother was delivered from it, it was in the midst of the news that go home and prepare to lose your child. And by the way, your brother might not make it. You see, relentlessly pursue communion with God. That is what we do. But we can do more than that. In fact, that's what we see Paul doing is, is not only did he relentlessly pursue, but we find this secondly is he passionately stayed on mission for God. He didn't just relentlessly stay in communion with God, but he passionately stayed on mission for God. Listen to what happened next. After this praising in the midnight, having a midnight worship service there in the jail, in verse 26, it's going to be on the screens, it says this, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. How about that? And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and get this, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Here an earthquake is shaking the jail to its foundations and this man's soul is shaken to its very core. And he comes to a place where he was preparing to take his life and instead of it, Paul speaks up and not only did he not lose his life, he found his life. He found his life in Christ and he was forever changed from that moment. Praise be to God because Paul was willing to stay on point to keep the mission ever before him, the opportunities that each and every one of us have every day to share Christ with others. You've heard me say it before that one of the greatest joys, in fact, I think it's the greatest joy as a follower of Jesus is when you are able to witness welcoming someone else into the family. 
And if you haven't had the opportunity to experience that, I got one thing to tell you that lean in on that. And the second thing is this, if you never get in the game, you'll never know what that feels like. If you never get in the game, you'll never know what it's like to experience that joy. You know, unfortunately, though, for many of us, suffering can get in the way. It can distract us. It can lead us to to walk away from the game, if you will. And I think many of us here know of people that have walked out the doors of church, right? And, and, and honestly, you know, sometimes it, it saddens me relationally when someone moves from one mission outpost to another, but that's not a kingdom loss. You know what grieves me is when someone not only walks out the door of the building, but they walk away from the body of Christ. Yeah. That's a kingdom loss. And you know what? Pastors aren't immune to that. I was sharing with the earlier hour, and maybe you've heard this before, but the statistics are not good. The average stint for a pastor is five years before they burn up and walk out. Now, you have an anomaly here with Ann and I. I know we're weird. And I am a word nerd. But, but the way that y'all pray for us and encourage us and you support us is what allows us to keep going. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. Thank you for who you are. But, but the truth is, is that suffering leads us that way. Let, let me show you a picture of someone, and maybe you know this individual. How many of y'all know Nick Vigisic? He does a phenomenal job in a movie short called Butterfly Circus. If you've not watched that short, Google it. Let your grandkids watch it with you. It, it is a phenomenal short, but... But Nick was born without limbs, depressed and suicidal for much of his teenage life. A janitor found him one day in school and began to speak hope into his life, and it began to change his life and his outlook as he came to embrace Christ. And Nick travels the world today, testifying to how obstacles can turn into opportunities. And he is on fire for Christ. He knows how to stay on mission even with the setbacks that the limitations of his physical abilities provide. Praise be to God for someone that knows how to passionately stay on mission for God. So pursue after God, pursue communion after God, and stay on mission with God. But there's more. There's one more thing. What we see is that Paul and Silas eventually are released from jail. Praise be to God. But what's interesting is what they do with that newfound freedom. If you fast forward to verse 40 of this chapter, what you'll read is this. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And it's only then that they left. You see, they could have simply moved on. They could have simply ran out of that jail and ran out of town in light of what happened to them. But they don't do this. They model a third thing for us that we can experience and that we can take to heart when we experience a season of agony and defeat. And that is this, to constantly stay in fellowship with God's people. To constantly stay in fellowship with God's people. You see, what we do is we find them back at Lydia's house, and they're encouraging one another. And, and, and you know, I know I'm a geek for the Greek or a word nerd, as Alan or Ernie says. 
But that word encouraged, there's a Greek word behind it, parakaleo. Say that with me, parakaleo. Do you know that it's directly attached and connected to the word that Jesus uses when he talks about the Holy Spirit in John 15? Parakletos. Parakaleo. Parakletos. And, and what that means is to call to one side to encourage. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? Comes alongside and encourages. And when the Spirit of Christ in me greets the Spirit of Christ in you, as you hear us say sometimes, that's where that encouragement comes, when we stay connected to one another. We stay in fellowship with one another. Pursue after God. Stay on mission for God. Stay connected to His people. You know, I was reflecting over the last six years of serving this community. And man, we have experienced the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Can I get an amen to that? I reflect back on a monumental moment in June of 2019 when two churches boldly said yes to merging together. It was not a unanimous vote. It was a majority vote, a vast majority vote. So many came along, but some fell out when we made that decision. And I say thank you to those that chose to lean in that decision and make the move because when we made the move some didn't make the move with us when we consolidated campuses i look back at the pandemic when every one of us was out in hiding and and, in retreating some of you stood up and stood in the gap and i want to thank alan mcmullen as one of those that pursued after technology to make it possible for us to stay connected when we could not be in the building Amen. amen And many others that came and helped wipe down the place and just made it possible for us to re-enter. It's an amazing testimony. I say thank you. I I remember that moment when we made a defining, definitive decision of who we were going to be when we grew up. And part of that meant stepping away from a connection that we had been part of for many, many years in the United Methodist tradition. And to remain faithful to our Wesleyan roots and to stand on the shoulders of the faithful that built this particular space and the ministry that continues because of the faithfulness of you. Not everyone went along, but many did. And I say thank you. And then I look back at last year, I had COVID. I couldn't even be here. And and there was this moment when I was questioning whether we were going to, are we going to finish Latimer or we need to pause? And and unanimously, those that were here said yes to take a step of faith and to borrow to be able to step into the vision that God's given us. And yet there's many of you that weren't a part of any of those decisions and yet you're here because of those decisions, because of the faithful steps of those that were part of this community that compelled you and drew you into what God's doing here at the way because the way has chosen to get in the game and to advance his kingdom. And so I look out to you and I say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all praise goes to him. Amen? So while we here may experience agonies of defeat, may we know to relentlessly stay in communion with God, passionately stay on mission for God, and constantly stay in fellowship with God's people. That's what we see Paul and Silas doing in in chapter 16. And there was a string of victories even in the midst of the agony of defeat. Amen?
And the beautiful thing about Paul is that Paul would leave Philippi that day, but he wouldn't ever detach from Philippi. In fact, about a decade later, we find a letter written to the church in Philippi, and it's being written in prison. And, you know, for some odd reason, Paul had an affinity for prisons. I mean, he had like a frequent flyer, you know, I don't know what it was. He constantly found himself in prison. He was in Rome about a decade later, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And in the opening salvo in Philippians 1, 3 through 6, he writes this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Weedus cross stitch is right here. It came out of this text. You see, God's begun a good work in each and every one of you. God's begun a good work in us. So no matter whether you're in a thrill of victory season or an agony of defeat season, I want you to hear me this morning. He ain't done. He's not done. And if you look to how the the story ends, if you go all the way to Revelation, you know that Jesus wins. Love wins. The Lamb of God wins. So if you're in an agony of defeat season today, will you look to Jesus and be reminded that He is for you, He is behind you, and He goes before you, and He's not done with you. you, Amen? Amen? And He ain't done with us. I just went through the first six years here. Let me tell you, I think that's like maybe a timeout in the first quarter of what God wants to do in this church. There's a lot of time ahead of us. But let's not waste it. It's time to get in the game. Each of us and all of us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you. (laughs) Oh, I thank you for your word. Your steadfast word. That reveals your truth and your grace and your pursuit after us. And your calling, your high calling on us that seek and say we believe in you and we profess faith in you, Lord Jesus, to follow in your footsteps, to teach, to preach, to heal. And to advance your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven as you taught us to pray. God, help us to internalize that within the sphere of influence within our families and in our neighborhoods and in this community and in our schools. Help us to take to heart what it means to get in the game, to participate alongside you and to witness the joy like that jailer of one other person's life transformed because if, even if it's just for one person, it's worth it. In fact, you died. Even if it was for one person, you came and gave your life. So God, inspire us. Move us beyond ourselves. Open us up to a move of your Holy Spirit, a fresh move of your Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of this community as we step forward and get in the game and further your kingdom. And you get all the glory. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Amen.